what we've been doing on, on our series in prophecy is trying to give you a view of the views of the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ, and now Daniel concerning prophecy. And that's why we've called our series uh, so far, Prophecy, the Panorama. And we had the Panorama of the Apostle Paul, a panoramic view by Jesus Christ, and now we're looking at a panic view, panoramic view of prophecy by Daniel. As we go on in the series, we're going to bring all of these things together in a little bit more detail. But right now, we're just giving an overview of everything. In this morning's message, we began our study of four amazing verses of Daniel chapter 9. And again, I ask you to turn to your Bibles, although we will have it on the screen as well. It's good for you to see it in your Bible and to mark if you have to. Remember, we sort of broke it down in outline in verse 24. We called it the scope of the vision. Vision that was given to him by um, the angel Gabriel. Verse 25, the description of the first 69 weeks. Description of the first 69 weeks. And then in verse 26, we call it the interval because this verse seems to indicate that it's the interval between the 69th and the 70th week. And then in verse 27, we have the 70th week and the resumption of the sequence of events. And we've been trying to impress upon you the aspect of sequence and how concerned Paul, Jesus, and Daniel are with being sure that we are accurate in the sequence of the events. Very important, and we talk more about this as we go along. This morning we looked at verse 24, the scope of the vision. This evening I want to look closely now at verse 25, the 69 weeks of years. And the verse reads in this way, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. In other words, it's going to be rebuilt, the city, the temple, everything else, uh, but it's going to be during a very difficult time. I want you to notice again the emphasis of the specific sequence of time. As I mentioned, this is characteristics of all of the prophecies given by Paul, by Jesus, and now by Daniel. Exact Specific historical markers are given. It's almost as though God is putting a challenge down to show that he cannot make a mistake. He's giving us historical markers. In fact, even the mention here of the plaza and the moat are essential items in determining the beginning of the, this period, which of the decrees uh, was spoken about. These words, the moat... And the plaza tell us exactly what decree was, what the decree was, as we'll see. But again, I say I want you to see the sequence of time. Sixty weeks, Daniel said, will be transpiring, beginning at a specific historical event and ending at another historical event. Remember now, and I'll be repeating some things because I want you to really understand and grab a hold of what's going on. 
Gabriel is prophesying through the prophet Daniel 500 plus years prior to the events that he's talking about before they occur. As I mentioned this morning, for prophets today, so-called prophets today, that could be quite a challenge. You could be putting yourself out on a limb, but as we explained this morning, that's not true of God because of who he is and his perspective of our times, the times in which we live. In fact, his perspective on time as a concept or as a whole. Now, we saw then that prophecy is not only an irrefutable evidence for the divine inspiration of the Bible, but it is also the unique imprint of the only one and true and living God. There's no other person, there's no other one who claims to be God who can do this. Now, I want you to notice the historical markers given for this prophecy. We have a diagram on the screen. The terminus quo, that is the specific beginning point of this prophecy, is the commandment to restore Jerusalem. In other words, it has to be this specific decree, this one. The terminus ad quem, that is the absolute ending point of the sequence of events, is the appearance or presentation of the Messiah King. Again, it has to be this specific event, this specific time. And the time in between has to add up to 69 times 7 years or 483 years. No more or no less. Now, when we go on and trying to determine this today, we might say in our figuring out the times, there's a little tweaking between 1 and 2 years. That's because of the way we study. It's not because of the timing here. It's just because of what we know ourselves about time. We'll talk about that as we go along. But the point is, any deviation would nullify the validity of the word of God. It will destroy the basis for believing that Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the only unique, true, and living God. In other words, the very godness of God is at stake that these historical markers come true. Remember now, 500 years before they take place. God is putting his deity on the line, as it were. I want to emphasize it because I want you to see how God manifests his character in his word. And that's seen throughout the word of God. So I'm going to walk through this study tonight very carefully and meticulously. I want you to be as convinced as I am that this Bible is in fact the word of God. It is not the word of man. It is the true and living God who communicated his will to us from another dimension, and he's speaking to us through this word today, and he expects us, yes, he even demands that we study it diligently and obey it faithfully and with enthusiasm. This is what I believe, and I believe that the church as a whole has been failing to do this as a whole. Our attention has been given to peripheral matters, not the word of God. We like to learn who the names of the disciples, apostles, that's great. The names of the books, that's great. But what do we know about the content? You see. Let's observe the verse then. Verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince comes, there will be seven sevens 
and 62 sevenths. Notice very carefully here. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. I want you to notice the sequence of time. Now we could diagram this verse, verse 25, like this. Look again, it's on the screen here. From the issuing of a decree to rebuild Jerusalem, beginning point, until the Messiah comes, ending point, will be, something will happen in between. What will be? Seven sevens and 62 sevens will be. Now translate it into actual years, it would look something like this in a diagram. Seven times seven equals what? 49, 49 years. 62 times sevens equals what? Hmm? What does it say? That's supposed to be 483 years. Suppose, what did I have up there? Supposed to be 483. I want you to notice now, let's look at it. Sorry about that, but don't let that throw us off. Let's look at the Hebrew year as it was understood when the book was written. It's what some call the prophetic year. And they say it consists of 360 days, not 365 days, as does our present solo or our day calendar. And so we would have to do a little math again to see what's happening here. And here's something then for you diligent Bible students. As we try to convert the Hebrew lonely years to solar years. A lonely year is 360 days each. When we look at it in here, the 483 years would then be 173,880 days. Now, to convert these prophetic years into regular or, or solar years, we have to divide by 365, that is the days. This will bring us to four, seven, 476 years rather than 483, if we convert it into the way we look at it. You understand what I'm saying? It'll be a difference but they cover the same time period because we're just looking at different ways of converting the same time period. Are you following me? All right. When you look at, when you look at it all over, you will see that it fits perfectly what Daniel is saying. Take a look at the chart. Everything fits in just perfectly. All right, so that's settled. 69 weeks of years equals 483 prophetic years or 476 solar years. Now you say this is a lot of detail, but it was given us to by God. And God tells us that every word in the Bible is profitable to us. And what we're seeing by mentioning these little details is that God is precise in his word. Every jot, every tittle, will be fulfilled. We have to regard the word of God in that fashion. Very important for us to understand this. All right, the beginning point then, um, Daniel says this 69-week period will be divided into two parts, the first being a one week of years or seven years. The beginning point is the same, of course, the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. However, the ending point is the coming of the Messiah. 
And so the first thing we have to determine now is, when was the starting point? When was the giving of this decree to rebuild Jerusalem? When was the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem given? Now you would say that is very easy to figure out, especially since we're looking back into past history. That may be so, but for the Jewish people, or even back here when it was given, it was not that easy. Daniel, I said again, was looking into the future, some 500 years in the future. And there were at least four decrees concerning the building of Jerusalem and the temple. At least four decrees. But without going through a lot of other details, we believe that the decree spoken of here is one given by Artaxerxes during the time of Nehemiah. So turn in your Bibles now to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad? I answered, Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governor of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. Then later on it says, the king granted my requests. There was a decree made up. I want you to notice the historical marker in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. You notice that? Historical references. 20th year, not 18th. Not 19th, it wasn't some other king, it was King Artaxerxes, and it was in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. This is a specific historical event. It's an historical date marker. And there are some historical reference to this point of him being king at this time. For instance, in the Encyclopedia Britannica, volume 1, page 598, it is confirmed that this is when Artaxerxes began his reign. It is also confirmed by the Greek historian Plutarch, who wrote about Artaxerxes I. Now, he lived way back in the first century, but he made a historical reference to this man, and it's exactly what the Bible says. Exactly what the Bible says. Now, when you put this together, here's what you get. Artaxerxes started his reign in 465 B.C. Nehemiah asked and got commission to go back and rebuild Jerusalem 20 years after he began his reign. Do you see this? I want you to follow this now. This has to do with the accuracy of the word of God. That would mean then that a decree for him to do so was issued by the king in 445 B.C. But now, there's a little thing we got to do here with Hebrew and the calendar because of the month in which it fell and so on. And so the historians uh, really look at it as being 445 B.C. All right? 
Anyway, when all of this is considered, the issue of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was 444, or some would say 443, depending on how you look at the month of Nisan and others. But I don't want to go through all of that. Now let's back up. I want you to see how important this is. So from the from starting point then is what? 443 or 444 B.C. So Robert Anderson, whom prophetic scholars owe so much when it comes to the book of Daniel, he was an expert in this area of dating these 70 weeks. And he says that the exact time of this was March the 14th, 444 or 443. March the 14th. That's the exact date. And so that's the beginning point. The ending point is the Messiah King. The coming or the presentation of the Messiah as King of Israel. Now when did this happen? Well, let's look at the chart again. If you go from 444 or 443 to the coming of the Messiah, and it has to be done in 476 calendar years, we come to what? We subtract 443 from 476, we get what? 32. But we haven't finished yet. You see, we have to add another year because there's no zero year that separates B.C. from A.D. Here's how we arrive at that. Look at the, at the, at the chart you have. You see, the years before Christ are years, minus years up to that point. The year he comes is year what? Year zero. The years after that are one, two, A.D., and so on. And so we have to add one year to 32 as the time that Messiah comes. So what do we get? We get 33 AD. Some would argue for 32 AD. But anyway, 33 AD seems to be the best one. And this seems to be the year that Jesus presented himself as king of Israel. And that closes off the 69 weeks of years as prophesied by Daniel. Again, so Robert Anderson dates this as April the 16th when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Very specific. Most scholars agree on the month and day of these two pivotal events. But as I say, vary between 445, 443 because of little tweaking. But it's the same thing here. It's very precise, very clear. Jesus went, presented himself as the king of Israel, April the 16th, 32, 33 AD. Very specific beginning and ended ending point. This is how it would look on your chart. 33 AD, I then, I believe, is the best date for Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on April the 16th. Now, that's not all. Zechariah predicted that the Messiah King would present himself by riding on a donkey. Not on a charger, not on a horse, not on a stallion, not in a chariot, but he would come riding on a donkey. This is what he says, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king. He is just and endowed with salvation. You remember when they greeted him, as we'll see, they sang, uh, God save us. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on the cold, the foal of a donkey. I want you to notice the word king. Your king is coming. 
Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. He's coming to whom? He's coming to you. Who are the you? You are the Jews. He's coming to you. He came exactly when predicted. He came exactly as predicted. Yet these, <clears throat> yet these Jewish people did not recognize this momentous event. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus says, and I emphasize again, I will again, is because you did not know the timing as was revealed, prophesied by Daniel. The triumphant entry in the Gospel of Luke. They came, they were shouting at him, or shouting as he came in, Blessed is the king who comes, who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on the highest. They were quoting Psalm 118. And this psalm is always seen as what? A messianic song. A song that spoke about the Messiah. And this is the psalm, the psalm the people were singing when Jesus came riding on a donkey. But the amazing thing is, the Pharisees knew that, and yet they rejected Jesus Christ as king. I want you to listen to the sacred text. In verse 39 of this passage in Luke. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Now think for a moment. Why do you think these Pharisees asked Jesus to rebuke his disciples? What do you think? Or are you thinking? Huh? Mm, well, what else? They were what? That's right. They knew that the psalm spoke about the coming of the Messiah. In other words, they knew the scriptures but they wouldn't apply it to Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? By the way, let me give you a little, a, a little hint for studying the, the Gospels. Whenever you see the Pharisees get angry about something, study it. Find out why they got angry. You'll always find a hidden truth there. This is, they knew the scriptures here, but they rejected Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, because your minds were blinded, your eyes were blinded, and so on. But this was a, pivotal moment in the history of the, of the Jewish people. This was perhaps the most pivotal event. Think about it for a moment. Suppose these folk had accepted Jesus Christ as king. What would have happened? Now we're speaking humanly here. We know it didn't. But what would have happened if they would accept Jesus Christ as the king? The kingdom would be set up. There would be no church. Now remember what I said now. We're speaking humanly. That's what we're talking about because we see time on a linear fashion. God, of course, knew all of this was, was going on. But from a human point of view, if these folk had accepted Christ as Messiah, the kingdom would have been set up then. 
Right? But the reason why Jesus says it wasn't was because you did not recognize the timing of the coming of the Messiah. That's the point. The timing. The exact specific point. And that's what I want to emphasize. Jesus emphasizes the importance of knowing the sequence and the timing of these, histor of these prophetic events. Now, I want to remind you of these words of Jesus Christ on that fateful day. Because I believe these are so vital and we overlook them. The days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in and on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Did you get that? You did not recognize what Daniel was saying. You did not take it seriously. Jerusalem was demolished as a result. These are serious words here. And I want you to mull them over in your mind. This is the word of God that comes from another time, another dimension. Why would he go through all of that trouble to communicate to us? Just so we could pick up the Bible and stick our finger in it and get a little card and read a verse a day? Uh-uh. He wants us to read it, study it, and to know exactly what it is that he has planned for us. And he's going to hold us responsible for doing so. It's amazing to me how the study of the Bible in churches are, seem to be the least attended event. Isn't that amazing? You say, let's come study together. Four, five, six, seven, eight. Come, we're going to have a social with rum, raisin, ice cream. Can't find a parking space for them. Now, we laugh at that. But we're are our priorities. Do you understand what I'm saying? Daniel predicted the exact day and time some 500 years or more before it happened. They should have known. God reveals a lot about himself in the word, about his character, his plan for your life, his plan for other people's lives as well. Nations. Do you know it? Are you trying to find it out? Are you studying the word of God? Do you have a den where you study the word? Beloved, I am without a doubt that God is using the prophetic scriptures we are studying for this series of messages to challenge us to study his word more than we have ever done before in these days in which we live. It is the only thing that can and will keep us true to him in these days that we call the last days. I know that these studies have again motivated me even more than I was preaching and teaching the word of God. And my emphasis is on teaching. Now I'm going to say something that probably many of you are not going to agree with, and that's fine. But I believe that many people, many preachers, have done a disservice to the church through preaching. You say, what do I mean by that? Well, it's because many seem to have turned preaching into an entertaining thing. They've turned it into an art, not realizing it's a calling. You understand what I'm saying? They have competitions now as to who could be the best preacher. I remember when I was 
taking homiletics. They would say, Alan, when you stand up, don't put your hand in your pocket. When you preach, that's not the right thing to do. Make sure you button your coat if you have it on. Make sure you have three illustrations, three main points and one illustration for each main point. Put your application at the end, not all through the message. You do that and you will have a perfect sermon. Nonsense. After I went through it, I found out that they were trying to turn me into somebody I was not. We have preaching like that today. Not teaching the word of God. And I believe that is what is necessary. But anyway, in summary, we could say that this passage accurately predicts the date of the official presentation of Christ as Israel's Messiah King over 500 years before the fact to the very day. I want you to understand this. The pre-Christian date of Daniel cannot be denied. There used to be people who used to try to say Daniel was written after the events occurred. That's why he was so precise. Now people know that that's just foolishness because the date of Daniel has been well established by bona fide historians. So that doesn't come up anymore. In the book of Daniel, he talks, on Jeremiah, he talks about Cyrus the king. You remember that? He called him by name, Cyrus. And the man wasn't even born yet. He called him by name. You see. Something else here. The date for this decree is accepted by all bona fide historians. 444, 443. No one doubts that. Somebody will say, well, maybe the New Testament authors sort of faked it. They said, let's read it, and then let's bring it about ourselves. It's impossible for them to have done that. There's no way for that to happen. And so, we are confronted with this amazing prophecy. 500 years. Right to the day. Right to the point. Before the events occurred. What do you do with this, um, what do you do with this stuff? What do you do with this material? What do you do with this prediction? You have to come to one conclusion if you're going to be rational. The author is God. He is the one, the only true and living God. No one else could do this the way he's done it. And this God expects us to believe the word he's written, he expects us to study the word he's written, and he expects us to obey his word. What is this word? What is this word? What does this word say? What does this word say about Jesus Christ? It says that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Can God lie? He's the Savior. What does this God have to say about this world, about sin, about holiness? We have to listen to him, my friends. We cannot make up our own book of rules. When the God of the universe has given us one himself. And he's sent it to us from outer space, as it were. From a new dimension. All right. Let's go on to verse 26. And I've called this the interval. Because there's one more seven to investigate. 
Verse 26 reads, Then, notice that word, well, then, after the 62, after, sequence, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, the temple, and his end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. Again, I want you to notice the sequence of time, the timing here. Then, after. Now, there's a lot of folk who make fun of prophetic teachers today who like to draw charts and sequentially outline the events of the last day. They laugh up and make fun of them. But if you go to scriptures, God is very careful about sequence and timing of events. Very clear. Jesus is not in any way, in any way, afraid to mention sequence of times and events. In fact, he goes out of the way to explain them. He did it in Matthew 24, Matthew 25. Paul did it in his epistles to the Thessalonians. In fact, Paul wrote the letters to the Thessalonians specifically to give you an event. The Lord's the coming of the Lord will not happen until, what? Until one. The falling away takes place. Two. The Antichrist is revealed. Sequence. Came out, and the book of Thessalonians, both of them, the epistles were written specifically to outline the timing of the events of these days. They're important to us to understand. So notice carefully now. Messiah King is cut off or killed when? Immediately after the 483 years are completed. That's when it's going to happen. Not before. Not way down, but immediately after. Right after the 483 years are completed. Look at it says now. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Now notice. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Notice carefully now. Because some get careless here in their reading of this text. It's not the prince who will come. But it's the people of the prince who will come who will destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's important historically to identify who are being spoken of here. This is another historical marker. It's one that authenticates divine inspiration of the word of God and underlines the fact that God is the author of scripture. No one else could be so precise to do this before the events occurred. The city of Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. This is what he's talking. It's going to be another time. This is a four this is the picture, as it were, of what is coming later on. But it was destroyed in 70 AD by the Roman governor Titus. The people were the Romans. And so Daniel is saying that the prince who will come to destroy Jerusalem and the temple in the last days will come from the Roman people. He will be a Roman citizen. Who knows? He will be a part of the Roman, uh, what we call the Roman Empire. By the way, let me tell you of something, and I'm going to tie this in later with worldly events, but let me mention this one right now. I saw a clip the other day of an interview with, uh, what's the name of the guy, who's uh, one of the secretaries or chairman of some parts of the European Union. Barroso, I think that's his name. A reporter asked him, what is the EU? 
You call it Europe all the time. Is it Europe? Is it a super state? This is a reporter now. Not Christian, just generally. What is the EU? And this man went on a five-minute explanation. And he couldn't explain it. Right at the very end, he says this. And this is when things went down. My, I mean, my, the, the hair at the back of my neck just stood up. He says, well, I guess the best way to explain the European Union Unit is not to call it a gathering together of states. He says, because we, we are that. And he says, because we are a place where we have all of these nations who have given, willingly given their sovereignty to us. And he emphasized willingly. He said, it wasn't done through war, but they willingly gave the sovereignty over to the EU. He said, therefore, I would call it an empire. The European Union is an empire. Isn't that amazing? Coming from the words of one of the, leading, the leaders of the European Union, it's an empire made up of nations who has willingly given their sovereignty over. Isn't that just like reading the book of Daniel? It's amazing. We're going to tie this in more as we go along. But now, in this passage also gives us an indication that some time will elapse between the events of 70 AD and the final destruction of Jerusalem. In other words, when the city and temple were destroyed in 70, there's going to be another destruction. There's going to be a time interval between those two destructions. Notice what it says, even to the end there will be war and desolations are determined. That's the interval we're talking about. We are in that interval right now. That's where we are. And we'll be showing this and explaining this more next time. We are in that interval. We don't know how long it will be. So let's look now at verse 27. And we, when we do so, we arrive at this sort of scenario. The text says, He will confirm a covenant with the many for one seven. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. The first question is, who is the he? The he is the prince who will come. When will he come? In the final week of the 70th year, of the 70th weeks. This he is what we call the Antichrist. That's really not the best name, the man of sin. The Syrian, he's given all kinds of names. This is the one who's all, all of the evil and all of the oppositions against God and everything and hatred will be finalized in this one individual. The prince who will come. Notice what it says. He will confirm a covenant with the many for one year. Now the word confirm is better translated ratify or to bring it into force. The idea seems to be that the covenant is already in place but it just hasn't taken effect. And what will happen is this guy will come along and he will be able to put peace treaty that was already on the table into effect. Now, this is amazing. Again, we're going to be talking about the EU next time and this neighborhood policies that they have of trying to bring everybody in into the EU. Trying to bring and call it a neighborhood. And they entered in last year, I think it was, into a treaty with Israel. Guess for how long? Seven years. 
It started last year. Now, right away, a lot of prophecy says, boy, that means the Antichrist is coming. No, no, no. Not necessarily. But the point is this. It was a treaty made for seven years. And here's the point. Never has a treaty been made with a nation on that basis for a period of time like that. The point is this. The format, the foundation is being laid for this treaty we're talking about right here. And who knows? The treaty that they're talking about right now, that Bush is trying to push and all of those, that might be the treaty. That could be the treaty. I'm not saying it is, but could be the treaty that the Antichrist puts into force because of his power at the time. All right. Notice what it says. He will confirm a covenant or he will ratify or bring into force a covenant with the many. Now, who are the many? The many are the Jewish people, not the church, not Gentiles, not the United States of America. The Jewish people. He will confirm a covenant of the many for one seven, seven years, the final week of Daniel's 70th weeks. He will confirm a covenant with the, with the many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. In the middle. In the middle of what? The seven. In the middle of the seven years. And therefore, the middle of the seven, half of seven is what? Three and a half. Listen to what Daniel says in chapter 7, verse 25. Speaking about the man of sin. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One and he will intend to make alteration in times and in law. Now, of course, uh, Seventh-day Adventists believe that he's already done that by changing uh, the Sunday and all of that. But no, no, that's not talking about this at all. In times and in law. And they will be given into his hand for how long? A time, times, and half a time. A time, that's one time. Times, that's two times. Half a time, that's half a time. So that's three and a half times. That's one way that three and a half years is described. It's also described as 42 months or 1,260 days. In other words, at this moment, at this precise moment, three and a half years into this last seven-year period, the Antichrist will set up the abomination of desolation in the Jewish temple. We spoke about that last time. It will be a, re a duplication, but in a much higher way, of what Antiochus Epiphanes did in the first temple. When he offered the sow on the, on the altar. And so on. Desecrated. It's going to happen again. When will it happen? When you read Matthew 24, Jesus says that is the sign of the tribulation. This setting up of the abomination of desolation. And everybody knew that he's referring to the desecration of the temple and the man claiming to be God. The abomination then of desolation would be the trigger for the great tribulation. The seven year period, listen carefully, is not the great tribulation. The whole period can be seen as a time of tribulation. But it's only the last half that is the great tribulation. Three and a half prophetic years. Right in the middle of it, this will take place. 
Listen how Jesus describes this event in Matthew 24. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So this great tribulation will be a momentous, pivotal factor in the history of man, especially Israel. And what will trigger it? The setting up of the abomination of desolation. And he says, unless those days have been cut short, no life would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Listen to how Daniel talks about this time. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands God over the sons of your people will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, Israel, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. I want you to notice, in the midst of this darkest time, all of this terrible judgment, there's a note of grace. And you look throughout the scripture, whenever God mentions judgment, grace is always also right there. In fact, he offers grace before judgment. It's right here in this day as well. Grace in the midst of judgment. Hosea says that this will cause his people to earnestly seek after God. Listen to his words. He says, I will go away and return to my place. This is God speaking. Until, until, until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In the affliction, in the affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Get the picture. God says, I am going to return my, in my place. He is, in a sense, hidden now from the people of Israel. They can't see him. We can see how, that's important, how important that is in prophetic time. It seems as though God does not deal with his people in the sequence of time when they are disobedient to him. When they come these days. We'll see that at another time. In the affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Do you know when this is going to take place? I mentioned it before. Go home tonight and read Isaiah chapter 52 verse 12. And all of Isaiah 53. That's when this will take place. They will look upon whom they have pierced. And they will realize that the one hanging on Calvary was their Messiah. And they will turn to him in faith. That's this here. That's this. And that's going to happen. That's going to happen. Now go back to chapter 9 verse 27 to close out. It says, He will confirm a covenant with the many for one seven. And in the middle of the seven, He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, is there a temple now for the Jews in Israel? No. How can it put something to an end then? If it isn't in place now. It means that the temple have to be rebuilt. And we're going to show you that they are already preparing for it. All of the priests are ready. They're being trained. They already have all of the clothing that is necessary. All of the utensils that are ready. Everything is ready. So are the Jewish people, at least some of them. We're going to see here. The temple will be rebuilt. How can this grain offering and sacrifice exist when the temple just, was just destroyed? The temple must be rebuilt before before the middle of the seventh week. Before the middle of the seventh week. Now remember this has nothing to do with the rapture. Nothing we've talked about has to do with the rapture. None of the signs that we talked about. Because the rapture is a signless event. We're talking about the 
coming of Christ to set up his kingdom here. In the middle of the 7-7, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. An abomination that causes desolation. This is going to be something that causes the nation to explode. And all hell will break loose on earth. This is another historical marker then. It puts an end to the three and a half years of relative peace that is brokered by the Antichrist. For three and a half years, you can have relative peace. That's when we can have the four horsemen and all of that. And we'll talk about that later on as well. But we might describe it in this fashion. Half of the seven years were given over to the Jewish people. That's the years of peace. Daniel's 70th week is divided into two halves. Part of the time is allocated to your people, the Jewish people. That's where peace will reign. Half of the time associated with the beast and his people. They will reign. Those who carry the mark of the beast. Those who associate with the beast and the abomination. That will be their time. The last part of the abomination. That's how we get the division of three and a half years each. Dividing in halves of three and a half years. In other words... The first half are years of peace. When you get to the book of Revelation, you're going to see what's going to be happening in there, and we'll get to that sometime in the future. The second half are years of the great tribulation. In other words, peace, war. You see? This is why when you look at the tribulation, we have to see it then. First three and a half years, peace. Second three and a half, war. Tribulation. Terrible uh, destruction. Now notice the final stage, of the final section in this one. Until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This passage is pregnant with meaning. Notice, until the end that is decreed. That means God has already appointed the end of the Antichrist. And notice, it will be poured out on him. When will this take place? We're going to see how that happens. When Jesus Christ comes to set up the kingdom, he comes and he destroys all of the armies and all of that. You know that. But the Antichrist will be the prime target. And the Bible says that when Jesus comes riding on his horse, that he will kill him with the sword of his mouth. That's going to be a tremendous event. Jesus Christ coming out of the heavens, riding on a horse, and all those who are believers coming with him. And the first thing he's going to do, he's going to speak death to the Antichrist. He's going to kill him dead. That's what he's talking about here. The same way everything that God has said will take place, has taken place, this too will take place and just the way he says it until the end that is decreed is poured out upon him this simply means that this will last this time of tribulation until God puts an end to it and he says I'm going to put an end to it so everybody will not be wiped off the face of the earth the triune God Father, Son and Holy Spirit will be involved in this and they will put an end to the Antichrist rampage 
And then what will God do? God will then set up his own kingdom on this earth. And that's what all of these prophecies are about. The setting up of God's kingdom on earth. We're going to be dealing with this in future messages. But I want to end tonight's message with this focus or this emphasis. And listen carefully. God will accomplish his purpose and will upon Satan alike. Upon us and Satan alike. Just as he had revealed in his word to us. Let me put it this way, more simple. God will destroy Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the unholy trio. God will destroy them, just as he said. But God will also deal with us the way he said. He says that we should know when certain things are going to happen. He says that we should know his word and we should obey his word. And God says if we don't, there could be some awful consequences. The reverse of that, there can be glorious consequences if we do. And so I ask you tonight, are you reading the signs of the times? Are you studying the word of God? Do you realize that right now, we are in the times of the signs. It should be rather easy for us to read the signs of the times because of the fact we are living in the times of the signs. Now next week we're going to look at the Antichrist. Who is he? Why is he coming on the scene? What is he going to do? And so on. We can talk about the rapture. But all going to be designed to focus on the fact that God is the author of this word. This word has come to us from another dimension so that we can be sure that it was he and he alone who sent us this message and he holds us accountable for knowing it and putting it into practice. Are you reading the signs of the times? in the times of the signs in which we live. Bow with me in a word of prayer, please. Again, as always, I ask you to reflect if God has spoken to you in any way from his word. You need to make a confession or a commitment to him. Please do it now before we leave. Perhaps you need to make a recommitment, a rededication, if you will. The studying the word of God. We have so many helps and opportunities for you available to teach you how to do this. You really have no excuse at all. You make commitment right now to study the word of God so that God will see you as one who need not to be ashamed because you can accurately handle the word of God. You're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as Savior, I implore you. There's only one Savior. The God who gave us the Bible says so. You need to place your faith and trust in him. We invite you, we implore you to do that this evening. Right now. If you'd like to speak to any one of the pastors, please be sure you do so. It would be a delight to show you how you could become a child of God. 
Father, thank you for your word, your glorious, magnificent, awesome word. Help us, we pray, to search it diligently. Help us, Father, to desire it even as we desire life itself. Help us to get into the sweetness of your word so that we might be able to become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.